Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. God is moving. What a great atmosphere of faith already this morning. So honored to be here with all of you guys uh, during all that's happening in the world. Uh, excited that God is moving. I believe that God is hearing our prayers, and I, I do believe that history belongs to the intercessors. You guys believe that today? And I do believe that we're seeing the prayers of the church come to fruition. And uh, I really do believe that when God arises and his, and his standards are elevated and the desires of God are played out in a land, that the revival can begin to happen. And uh, I really do, I, I want to just be clear on this, I, I really do believe that one of the things that will happen out of uh, it be, becoming more difficult for abortions and to have the number of abortion, uh, abortions diminish is we're going to see God's mercy come over our land like never before. I believe that it'll actually spare from coming judgment in the future. And I do believe that there's going to be a, a, even just a, a wave of God's grace because we're, we're valuing the sanctity of life in the womb. The Bible says that God knew us in our mother's womb. It says that John the Baptist was filled right inside of the mother's. Are you, can I preach a little bit today? I want to just go in on this because I know we're, we're so culturally triggered that we've been programmed by Babylon that sometimes it's easy to get our news from the wrong sources. And I want to be clear today that before God has done anything dynamic on the earth, there was always an attack on babies. Before God raised up Moses, Pharaoh went after babies. Before God sent Jesus into the world to deliver the, 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 the children, the, the, the people of God, the Herod attacked babies. And literally, we are in one of the only windows of history in modern history that we continue to say that we are a chosen generation. One-third of my generation is not here, and I believe it's because God is raising up another generation of deliverers. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Oh, I feel like, I feel like we're going to go somewhere today. We're going to go somewhere today. So I want to just be uh, upfront with you. I do believe in a God that, that meets us. I believe in a God that restores us. And I believe that one of the chief characteristics of the Holy Spirit is he, a God, he is a God that loves, but he is a God that restores And I would tell you that who I was before Jesus at 18, my political opinions, my view of the world, my, we call it worldview, is completely different than my worldview is today. And what I'd like to say to those that don't see the world like I see it is this, is that my goal would be is let's all have a God encounter today and let's see where his chips settle in our hearts. I think that the, the goal of following Jesus is to do life the way that he wants us to do life. And so today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deviate a little bit from my normal uh, message for a commercial break. We're in a series called The Promise. I've been teaching on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do that today. But I want to go in on an idea today, a thought today, that the Holy Spirit is the God that restores. So if you're taking notes today, write this down, Holy Restoration. Last week we talked about the Holy Who. I was planning on talking about holy fruit today and then holy gifts the following week, which I will do, and we will talk about the gifts of the Spirit. We will talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, if you ever think that you are serving God and you are not demonstrating his fruit, you are deceived, my friend. And we have many people today that say they are full of the Spirit of God and believe in the Spirit of God, but they are not demonstrating Galatians 5's fruit. Y'all ready to go today? I know it sounds a little bit abrasive, but sometimes the truth cuts before it cleans. And we live in a world that so pacifies us with what we want to hear. Y'all ready? All right, Orange County, let's, let's get after today. John chapter 8, let's go there. John chapter 8, if you know the story, famous story, and I got good news today. Because regardless of how far you feel from God, regardless of how broken your life is, regardless of how many mistakes you made last night, this morning... You might, have, you might have gave someone a one-finger wave in the parking lot. You, you might have been in a club last night. You might have woke up in somebody else's bed. You might have showed up this morning still with, with the drugs in your system. I got good news for you today that we serve a God that will meet you where you are. He's not scared of our darkness, but make no mistake about it, he will lead you into his light. That's where we're going today. This woman is this crazy story in the Bible. This is one of the ra most radical church services in history. What do you mean radical? I mean, it would, be, it would be one of those awkward, I live, to be honest with you, I'm a pastor. My favorite thing to do with other pastors when we hang out is talk about the awkward stories in church. We value these moments. 
We, I, mean, I can tell you some funny stories. Most of them revolve around an open mic. Are you following me? Someone that's been in church for a while knows what I'm talking about. I remember hearing a story about an elder in a church. They were doing open mics. And people were confessing their sins. And one guy's like, uh, you know, I, I'm addicted to pornography. And the whole church is like, he's getting free. And the next guy's like, I'm a liar. I've been lying lately. And the whole church's like, yeah, he's getting free. And the next guy was an elder. And he got up and he said, I killed a man. Yeah, they weren't doing this. They weren't laughing. The church's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to call the cops. This guy's going to prison. His, his kid's in our youth ministry. This is the worst church service ever. Then this guy decided to go on, and he was a carpenter. And the whole church's like, oh, my gosh. And he was Jewish. And he lived 2,000 years ago. He's like, I killed Jesus. My sins put him on the cross. And the whole church's like, come on. Freaked us all out. Same with the awkward services. I got a slew of awkward church services. I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm telling you, humanity is funny. But I would say today, this was, this, this was the top of the list. This is an awkward, crazy church service. And incidentally, it is the only sermon that Jesus ever preached that he actually wrote down. It is the only written sermon of Jesus. And so if you have your Bible, John chapter 8 is where we're going to turn, and I'm going to read this today, and I want to talk to you today about holy restoration, because I believe that one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he restores our soul. He is the God that restores us. He leads us out of darkness, out of bondage, out of slavery, out of the ide ideology of Babylon, out of the captivity of Egypt, outside of the grip of Pharaoh, and he leads us into the light. If you believe it, come on, shout amen. I need the church to get fired up today. I expect the world to not understand this, but I do have an expectation that the people of God should be on board. Y'all ready? John 8, verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Can I remind you today that, the, that Jesus was personified grace? He was personified truth. He, if grace was a person, his name would be Jesus. If truth was a person, his name would be right? And last thing I would say before we read today is that it was the spirit of Jesus that was full, uh, the spirit of God that was inside and completely filled Jesus up. You read about Jesus going into the wilderness full of the spirit. All right. So it says this, verse John, John 8, verse 1. So Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the church, the temple. And the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. In adultery. Caught in the act. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, say with me, the law. The law commanded that such a person should be stoned. Stoned. This is not talking about marijuana. Follow me. But what do you say? They said to him, testing him, that they might have something with which to accuse him, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote. He what? Only message that he wrote. He wrote on the ground with his finger, kind of like Exodus chapter 20 on Mount Sinai. God, the finger of God, wrote on the ground. And it says with his finger and as though he did not hear. So when he continued, they continued asking him, he raised himself up. And watch what he says. He, so he wrote, he wrote his word first, and then he speaks his word second. He who is without sin, he who is without sin, let him throw a stone at her first. Again, he stooped down, kept writing his message on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one. Notice what the Bible says. Beginning with the oldest, even to the last or to the youngest. I think the funny part about life is, is that this is so true, that when it pertains to our knowledge and our, 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 our perfection, the older you get, the more you realize you don't know everything. The older you get, the more you realize I am guilty. But it's always the 19 or the 24-year-old that has a couple years of college under their belt that do the most damage. I know everything. I've studied the Bible for three years. I... I'm a part of an online college university. I, I went to the University of Phoenix, right? Like, I, I got this figured out. But it's the old and wise people that go, look, if we're throwing rocks, 
only if we're without sin, I'm the first one to leave. And went all the way down to the young one, probably an 18-year-old, right? Probably an 18-year-old male. And it says, <laughs> toughest crowd to reach right there. <clears throat> Came down, stooped to the ground, and it says this, that, that starting with the oldest, even to the left, that the woman was left alone. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, no one but the woman, he said, say it with me, he said, he went from writing to saying, woman, which by the way, I only encourage you saying woman if your name is Jesus. All the ladies said amen to that. That's a Jesus statement right there. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? No one condemned you. Notice that the only three words that we have recorded of this woman that got caught in the act of doing something wrong. The only three words we have recorded about this woman is she says, no one, Lord. No one, key word in the sentence, Lord. No one, Lord. You follow me today? We, we don't have much about what she had to say, but we had something very significant that she didn't just answer his question. She acknowledged his lordship. Go somewhere today. And it says this, no one, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me. Who wants to follow Jesus? Is there anybody today in 2022 that doesn't care about the world? I'm going to follow Jesus. Here's what Jesus, not Mark Francis, here's what Jesus says. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. The light of life. The light of, of what? God is the God of life. I want to pray. Lord, we just honor you today, Holy Spirit. I just thank you that you would come in this tent like a wave, both at San Juan and here today. I pray that you would embolden us with your, with your presence. I pray that you would uh, enlarge our revelation of who you are. And I pray that, Lord, we would leave today closer to you, fuller of you, and God, more in love with you than we've ever been in prior times. I thank you that, God, even now, Lord, you would become strong inside of us, that we begin to value what you value, and we would walk in your light as you are in the light. I thank you that you're a God that restores. So, Lord, wherever we're at today, lead us, guide us, restore us, Holy Spirit, in the name that's above all other names, Jesus Christ, and the people of God said a hearty amen. Amen. Come on, we can do better than that. Come on, say good amen. amen. Anybody in here remember how exciting it was to get your first car? I don't know. I think looking back, my, my pretty short life, I, I wanted to clarify last week I was confused. I am 38 years old. I think I said I was 39, but who knows? I'm 38. I turned 39 this year. But in my relatively short life, I would say that one of the coolest days, uh, one of the coolest Normal, not spiritual, but just kind of normal happenings of life outside of marriage and having children and, and having, obviously, God encounters. I'd say one of the exciting days of life is when you get your driver's license. Come on. It's like freedom. Like William Wallace, right? God bless you. And, and then the other exciting day is when you get your first car. I remember I was 18 when I got my first car. The year, I believe, was 2002. I bought a 1997 VW Golf. First car. It was white, a little bit femi looking, but I, I, I owned it. And uh, that was my first car. I was thinking about how I, I, I was thinking about how all of us, we all remember our first car. Everyone, if you get a first car, everyone remembers their first car. It could be a terrible car, and there's, like, something special in your heart. That's like, look, it wasn't reliable. It was ugly. God, it stunk. But I, I still kind of wish I had it. Isn't that wild? First car was kind of an interesting thing. I was, I was thinking about the, the difference between my generation and my parents' generation. And I would have to, I would have to unanimously say that the older generation had way better first cars than I did or that my kids will have. Can we agree on that? 
And here's the proof of that, is that no one in this room is like, you know what I want to do? I want to go find a 1997 VW Golf, and I want to restore it. I, have, I don't care how much money. I can have more money than Elon Musk. I have zero desire to recreate my white 97 Golf. But my stepdad, he grew up with a 1970 convertible Hemi Cuda. And that was one of his first cars. And he somehow figured out a way to not sell it every time his wife wanted to sell it. And he kept it all the years. And when I met my stepdad, I was, I don't know, this is probably 25, 30, it had been longer than that. It had been, yeah, 25, 30 years after he got this car. It was in the garage. And come on, restoring a Cuda has a little bit more of a, I don't know, substance than restored in a 97 Golf. Can we agree on this? So if I restore that Golf, I'm going to lose money. I restore my Cuda, I can retire early. One has value, one really kind of doesn't. And I was thinking about this, that my stepdad, I remember when I first, my parents first got together, and I moved in with my stepdad, his Cuda was in pieces. I'm like, literally like, he's like, I got this, my mom was like, he's got this amazing car, and one day it's going to be awesome. And I'm like, where's this car at? I see a frame. I see rusty parts all over the garage. I see, I see, man, there's like nothing spectacular about what's in that garage. And somehow, some way, over the, over the period of about two and a half years, he literally took every piece of every part off of that car all the way down to the frame. They, they powder coat, they cleaned, they, got, they removed the rust, they did body work. Wow. Now, I know some of you don't care about what I'm talking about, but listen, when I say body work, I am not talking about Orange County body work. Yeah. Are you hearing me today? I'm talking about auto body work. And they remove the rust, they got the dents out, they begin to perfect this frame, they begin to put this back together, they chrome-dipped parts of the car, they repainted, powder-coated. I remember he gave me one task to powder-coat some parts, or sandblast some parts, and I was sandblasting, and I thought it would be so cool to point the sandblaster at the glass. Totally ruined a sandblaster. That's another message, though, we'll deal with that later, Lord forgive me. Say with me, re- Restoration. What my stepdad did is he took something that he, he had for a long time, took it down to nothing, and then he built it back brand new. That car is worth a fortune today. Probably the two greatest things that he didn't do is he didn't throw away what the world could have thrown away. And I believe that one of the things that God always does with his kids, what the world calls garbage, God calls treasure. And the world throws its broken away, but God collects him. God collects the broken pieces of humanity. God collects the battered, the beaten, the distraught, the downcast, the heavy laden, and he brings them into his family. Can I get a good amen? And it reminds me of my stepdad's desire to bring back something that he loved, to to get every piece that was needed, and to put the time and the energy into making it better than it was originally. This is what God does. I would go on the record to say that it is the Spirit of God that restores humanity to its rightful state. That's why in Acts 2, he restores what was lost at Babel. As Babel, one language confused the world, and they got multiple languages. At at the Tower of Babel, the world was confused, and at Pentecost, the world was united. Babel brought destruction and confusion. Pentecost brought unity and love. And I believe that today it is the Spirit of God that unifies, even though you might be Democrat, you might be Republican, you might be, you might be this, that, or the other. It's amazing how it is the blood of the Lamb that united, unites the people of God. Can I get a good amen? God's love will reach you where you are. My, my worldview, my values are completely different than how they were before I met Jesus. And I would remind those, remind those of us in the church that you can't expect people that haven't experienced what you've experienced to see the world the way that you and I see it. That's what religion does. Religion puts our expectations on people that have never encountered God. What we have to do is lovingly tell people the truth in love, but let them encounter what we encountered and let God do the changing. Can I get a good amen? This is what God does. 
And I love this story because, again, it is one of the most awkward church services in the Bible. Jesus is in the middle of this just kind of normal Sunday morning message. And all of a sudden, there is a, there's a, a little bit of an uproar in the back of the building. They bring a woman in. She's half naked. She's, she's literally, like, like, embarrassed, and she's shameful, and she's, she's just totally uh, downcast, not even making eye contact in the room. They bring her in, in this robe, probably. They throw her at the feet of Jesus. They have rocks in their hands, and they say, Moses and the law. Religion, it says to kill her. What do you say? And they're trying to catch Jesus in his words. Because if, they, if, he, if Jesus would have said, we for, I forgive her, then they would have said, then you don't honor the law of Moses. And this moment is almost like a Solomon moment. Kind of like when Solomon had two moms come in. One of them had their child rolled over on her child and, and killed her own child. And literally, the, both moms came in, and the one mom said, at night, she, she rolled on her child and killed it, and grabbed my kid and gave me her dead child, and literally, they're fighting, they're both saying that their child belongs to them. And Solomon's kingly wisdom says, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to saw the child in half, and one mom can have one half, and one mom can have the other half. And in that moment, the compassion of the birth mom said, no, give, give the child to the other woman. Solomon says, that's the mom. It was that wisdom that, 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 that actually made the king revered in the land. And what John does in his gospel account is he is writing that Jesus is not just, he's not just a, a, a good savior. He's not just a good teacher. He is the Messiah. He is the king that has wisdom beyond this earth. And he says this. All right, I'm not going to tell you that I forgive her. I'm going to tell you this. He who is without sin throw the first rock and he didn't have to say anything about forgiveness he just said hey the only one that can throw a rock is the one that has no sin and starting with the oldest all the way to the youngest no one was able to stay he stooped down and wrote on the ground it's kind of silly to speculate what jesus was writing some people have speculated that maybe he was writing down the sins of the men that were standing there with rocks in their hands that would clear you out can i get an amen you're like, I'm going to kill this person. And Jesus is like, well, let's talk about what you did yesterday. Like, I, I got to go actually right now. My wife's calling me. I got to get out of here. So maybe he was writing down the sins of those that had rocks in their hands. Potentially, maybe he was writing down how much he loved this woman. And when you hear God using the words, because he's omnilingual and the greatest poet to ever live, maybe he wrote something so endearing so majestic, so glorious, that it convicted every one of them to their hearts that they could never hate something that God loved that much. Maybe he was like, like an older sibling that just completely disregarded the stupidity of the younger sibling and just said, you're not even worth acknowledging right now. I'm just going to doodle. We don't know. We don't know what Jesus wrote. But here's what I felt the Lord told me to tell you is that whatever Jesus wrote got rid of the hypocrisy of the crowd. Hear me today. I believe there is hypocrisy in the, in the earth today. I believe there is people that mean well that are doing bad, and there is people that are doing bad that mean well. And I believe that what God's word, when we focus on the values of what God has written down in these 66 books, is it distinguishes us from the hypocrisy of the crowd. If we're going to be a people that values what God values, stands for what God stands for, and lives what God lives, we have to be willing to honor what God wrote. People say, well, Mark, I'm not a reader. Well, here's what I know, is that if she wasn't a reader and the crowd wasn't a reader, then that woman's life never would have been saved. That woman came into church that day on death's doorstep. And we don't know what was written, but we know this. Whatever Jesus wrote saved her life. And I would tell you 2,000 years later that whatever this book wrote down has the power to save your life. And many people are enchained to the Babylonian mentality of our land because we've been raised in education systems. We've been raised in news media systems. We've been raised in these social systems that literally they glorify the altars of Baal. They glorify the idols of, of Balaam. And I'm telling you that if you're not intentional, what will happen is you're not like Daniel, you're not like Joseph, and you start speaking the language of Egypt, you start knowing the customs of Egypt, but you lose the kingdom of God in your hearts. 
And if there was ever a window that we can't lose our identity, it is now. How do we stand in truth and in love when the world is divided? We have to value what Jesus written. So write this down. It was what he wrote that removed the hypocrisy of the crowd. But it was what he said that set her free and forgave her. I believe that God's written word is powerful, and I believe that his spoken word is powerful. The Logos and the Rhema word. I believe as believers of Jesus Christ, we need both. Can I get an amen? We got people that know the scriptures, but they don't know the spirit. Are you hearing me today? And we got people that know the spirit, but they have no idea what the scripture says. How many believe there's an hour in history that we need to know both? I need to know what Jesus wrote, but I also need to know what God is saying. There's an element of our day that we have to pastor the moment. We have to be prophetic in the moment. We have to be uh, politically minded in the moment. We have to be like the sons of Issachar that understand the times in which we live. There is a wisdom that Christians need today that is more needed maybe than any other window in history. And I believe that God will get it by his spirit because God's heart is restitution. God's heart is restoration. Are you hearing me today? God wants to give back what the enemy has stolen from his kids. And the first thing we know about this is that the Holy Spirit comes to restore as number one, as the judge. I'm telling you today that most people never encounter restoration personally because they know Jesus as Savior. They know him as their buddy, their BF friend, uh, BFF. They got the t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And we live in an era of time that acknowledges God but has no reverence for God. Yeah, of course I believe, but I, I figure God out. Yeah, I can do what I want. I can say what I want. God will endorse what I'm doing. And I believe that we're in an hour of time that literally we got to realize that the Spirit of God restores us by us acknowledging that he alone is the judge. He alone had the authority to judge this woman. He said, he who is without sin. Who is that? Him. He was the only one in the room qualified to throw stones. He is without sin. Throw the first rock. Only sinless person in the room. And it's so important today because what was written, saved her from the hypocrisy of the crowd, but was what was spoken forgave her and empowered her to live right. You know, Psalms 89, 19 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. He says, has no one condemned you? Three words. No one. Lord. That word Lord is very interesting. It's, uh, it's actually a, it's a Greek word. And uh, it, it, it means supreme power, it means Lord, it means owner, it means the one that controls. It's actually the same word, Lord, that is used in Romans chapter 10 when it says, how do you get saved? By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is You know what this woman was saying? Has anyone condemned you? She said, no one. She said, no one, Lord. And I believe that that's one of the problems of our day that we live in. Is we have a generation that might say they acknowledge God, but he is not the Lord of their worldview. He's not the, he's not the Lord of their ethics. He's not the Lord of their values. We want, we want the salvation of Jesus, but not the values of Jesus. And I want you to know today that we are, we are living in an era of Babylonian preachers. They preach on Netflix, on Instagram, on mainstream media. They're always propagating the STDs to the masses. Spiritually transmitted diseases. Ideologies that collude with darkness, interface with our flesh, our flesh, and have a form of godliness with no power. Once infected, culture determines your values. Heaven gets marginalized. Your personal faith gets chaperoned by your feelings and impulses. When we live for Babylon, we will only elevate voices that tell us what we want to hear. The disease is only cured by full surrender in the lordship of Jesus Christ and building your life on his word. God is a terrible employee, but he is the ultimate employer. He leads, we follow. He says it, we believe it. He promises, we stand fast. The fruit of the spirit must become the currency of our lives. If you never get pushed back from society, it could be that the world has never hated its own. We must belong to Jesus. His kingdom is everlasting. His ways are higher. His mind is greater. And we must be doing his will on earth as it is in heaven. 
Come on, if you believe it, come on, give him a good hand clap and a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Problem is, we have a church today that's either celebrating the grace of Jesus and ignoring the truth of Jesus, or we're chanting the truth of Jesus with no love and no grace. I want to remind Orange County that Jesus was both. Can I get a witness? This, this Jesus had so much love that he said, neither do I condemn you. That is the love of God. This woman, she didn't have a speculation that she did something wrong. She was caught doing it. The punishment was death. They were supposed to throw rocks at her until she died according to the law. She came into church that day on death row. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And could it be? Could it be? I just, I never thought about this. I preached this passage many times in my life, and I never had this thought before, that literally grace and truth followed her declaration that Jesus was Lord. And I think many believers never experience grace and truth because they never come to the point to say, you are the Lord. What you wrote is Lord. What you say is Lord. And I believe that God will revive our land when once again as the church. Look, I'm not talking about the world. I, am, I expect the world to be confused, to be angry, to be belligerent. But God help us when that happens in the church. As, as the people of God, we have to value what was written and what was said. I felt so grieved last night. I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, he goes, Mark, my people don't value my word, and my, 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 my voice is so irreverent, uh, irreverenced that people wouldn't know what revival would look like even if it was to hit America. There would be arguing in the church over, is this revival or not? Felt so grieved last night. I'm like, God, help us. He says, Mark, the only help that I can give you is that the bride of Christ will begin to honor what I wrote and will honor what I said. It'll save their life today. Good spot for an amen. If you're going to clap, give God a good hand clap today. God is the God of grace. Neither do I condemn you. The problem is about 10 years ago, grace has gone wild. And when grace goes wild theologically in the church, what happens is, is extreme grace will always lead to lawlessness. In subjectivity, in emotionalism, it can actually justify almost anything. The desires become right in their own eyes since they have no firm standards. They have no law to guide them. Paul said in 1 Timothy, the law is good if someone uses it lawfully. And we live under this thing that we say, I don't live under law, I live under grace. Well, the problem is, is Jesus honored parts of the law still. He didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. And if you notice that Jesus is grace and the law is for Moses, what, what Moses said, Jesus always took to a higher level. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, the law says eye for an eye. The law says if you sleep with a woman, you've committed adultery. But grace, I say to you, grace, he who looks. We think that somehow the grace of Jesus waters down the convictions of God. It doesn't. The grace of Jesus calls us higher, but empowers us. If you're going to hear something today, hear it. It is the grace of God that elevates the standards of living, but it gives us the power to live this way. I want to remind you, people say, Mark, I'm so tired. I heard a lady, like, out of her mind, demon-possessed. She's like, I don't care about that stupid Bible, that myth mythological book. I don't care what Christians say is right and wrong and the sanctity of this, that, or the other. And I'm like, yeah, she doesn't. But here's the deal. She honors Plato. And Plato only has one document from his time period. Do you know that the Bible, listen to me, historically, is the only book that has over 24,000 pieces of scriptures from the first century? There is no other historical document, religious document in all of history that has the validation of what was written thousands of years ago lining up with what's said today. There is no explanation how a new cult religion with a crucified criminal leader could start a hodgepodge new world religion that would overthrow Rome. There is no explanation of the growth of Christianity, the heroes being women in the Bible, there is no explanation that people that follow Jesus would be willing to die for a lie. I want you to know this is not any book, friends. This book will save your life. If he wrote it, we got to read it. If he wrote it, we got to read it. 
if he's a writer, the church has to be readers. People today, they have no idea that this extreme grace, it will lead to lawlessness. Extremists become autonomous, a law unto themselves. He may become self-righteous even. He is no longer under authority when you get into extreme grace. And actually, when you get into crazy grace, you start, manifest, you start manifesting Satan's first uh, recorded sins in Isaiah, the sin of pride and lawlessness leading to autonomy. Ladies and gentlemen, this is humanism. Grace without the law is humanism. But he says, go and sin no more. Say with me, truth. Notice that grace says you're forgiven. You're not condemned. But notice truth. It says, yeah, yeah, but now that you're forgiven, live well. And here's the problem in Christianity today. You have churches that say all is forgiven, come as you are, and stay as you are. That's not love. Love will meet you in the freeway with your kids, but love will not let your kids stay in the freeway. That's not love. Love that actually, it, it gives empathy for people on their way to hell is not love. It's going to get quiet in here for a second. But I'd rather tell you what you don't want to hear and wake up in eternity with no surprises than to be some preacher, like Paul said in the end days, would tell you what you want to hear because you have itching ears and, and enter into the great apostasy. We've got to be people that value the truth as much as we value the grace. There's extremes, though. And extreme truth leads, it leads to the same place as extreme grace. Isn't this crazy? Extreme truth leads to the same place as extreme grace. It just, it just arrives by a different path. The law believer rightly condemns uh, the grace believer's perspective, but often, more, more often than not, the, the law believer tries to accomplish the works in his own flesh. The legalistic tries to become righteous on his own efforts. In such realms, the letter of the law is upheld to the exclusion of the spirit of the law. Striving to keep the law by your own efforts, a believer becomes his own law and thus is under his own authority of no one. The law without grace is dangerous too. How many say with me, grace, truth, say with me, light. This is the last thing I want to tell you. I believe it is God's, God the judge, the spirit of God is the judge that pardons I believe it is the grace of God that empowers. I believe it is the, it is the God of truth that equips. And I also believe that in, 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 in when it comes to God being light, God always builds with light. I could do a whole study on this. I don't have time. I got into this deep rabbit trail last night. Studying from Genesis, before God created the world, he said, let there be. God always builds with light. The devil does his exploits in darkness. That's why John says that men, they, they knew the light, but they chose darkness instead. We live in a day and age that people know most of what light is, but we're still choosing darkness. God is light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus' followers don't walk in darkness, but they have the light of light. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of heavenly lights. I believe... It is the power of the Holy Spirit that restricts the, the devil's power, that pulls down strongholds, that obtains God's promises. What has hell to fear other than a God-anointed, power-prayered church? Today, as we wrap this up, I believe that God will restore anyone that values his lordship, values his grace, values his truth, and says, Lord, if you said I can walk in the light, I'll live in the light. Right. Problem is Galatians 5 says that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they're contrary to one another. Right. Do you know that every day there is a battle going on inside of your soul over which Lord you're going to serve today? That's why some of you relapse into old habits, old mindsets. Every day Babylon is knocking at your door. And I believe that we aren't, we aren't supposed to be conformed to this world. But I do believe that we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. In the midnight hour, we need incandescent men that are needed. 
I believe the church began in revival. It can't end with ritual. We started viral. We can't end sterile. Charter members of the church were men of heat, but not of great degrees. Today, many have degrees, but they have no heat. We need God to, to, we need God to be uh, God-guided men to lead misguided people. Passionate Pauls need to stir up timid Timothys. We don't need the church singing the rockabye babies, but to blow the trumpet in Zion. As a church, I believe as goes the church, as goes the world. As goes the church, so goes the world. Listen, we can reach prodigal sons as long as the church does not go prodigal. If the watchman is asleep, the enemy can take the city. And I want to remind you, Christians, that we are the watchmen of our time in history. And if we sleep, the enemy takes our cities. But say with me, not on my watch. God is restoring. God is going to use us. God will take you down to your frame, and he'll put you back together again. If you believe it, shout amen. Stand to your feet. Fill his glory. I believe one of the reasons God has honored this church is because we've committed not to dishonor God. I don't care if it's not trendy, if it's not popular, if other if famous pastors aren't talking about it. I don't care what, what CNN says, what MSNBC says, what Fox News or Newsmax, whatever your prescribed drug of choice is. I want you to know today that if God's into it, we're into it. If God isn't into it, we're not into it. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not going to change Babylon by bending to it. We're not going to change Babylon by bowing to it. What separates the people of God, I believe it's audacious commitment to the love of Jesus. It's audacious commitment to the words of Jesus. You want news? Here's my news. Smith Wigglesworth, a great man of exploits and faith, he didn't even allow people into his house with newspapers. He would smack newspapers out of people's hands as they walked into his living room and said, the only news that's welcome in this house is this book. News comes and goes. And I will argue that some of the things that we celebrate today will be totally, totally uh, uh, assaulted later. And some of the things that are assaulted today will be totally elevated later. And the only thing that doesn't change is truth. You want proof? Look at the haircuts of your, uh, your trendy haircuts. If you follow the fads, the trends, you ever look back at old pictures like, dear God, how was that ever cool? How were overalls ever in, right? Like, I, I look back, I'm like, my, like this, this old haircut, I, I used to have this, like, I'm not going to offend anybody. Because I realized one man's trend is another man's truth. Um, so I'm going to let out the gas there. I believe the only thing that we won't regret is valuing what Jesus wrote. The only thing that we can be sure of is that if I stand for what he says, I won't be embarrassed one day. Problem is we have people that would rather be embarrassed today, or rather not be embarrassed today, and delay their embarrassment to later than to stand for God in the moment that we live in and say, hey, look, you all throw rocks at me. You can stone me. You can threaten my life come against us. That's whatever you want to do. That's what happened to the early apostles. I believe that the true gospel will actually, it'll either change cities or it'll cause riots. There's not this in-between. The early apostles, they weren't throwing rocks at liquor stores and throwing rocks at, at dirty politicians. They were calling out false religion. They were, they were, they were literally taking down the idols of their day. And we're going to do it in love. We're going to speak the truth in love. I just, I feel strong today that one of the greatest things we need today is a radical commitment to God's word and a literal uh, commitment to being full of the boldness of the Holy Spirit. He'll restore you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you knowledge. He'll give you understanding. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Let's pray. Here's what we do today. Close your eyes for me. I believe there's people here today. Truth is, your restoration process begins today and it begins the same way that this woman's restoration process began. He says, has anyone condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. 
I believe the first step to restoration in life, having the Spirit of God put you back together again, is acknowledging and confessing that Jesus is not a little G God. He's not an elective credit to life. He's not something that we do when nothing else is going on. That he is the main course. He's not the breadsticks at Olive Garden. Come on, somebody. He is the uh, Parmesan chicken. Main course. I pray right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that everyone in this room that has never acknowledged you as the Lord. Someone say, well, I believe in God. I've just never given him, I've never given him permission to be the Lord, leader, supreme power, the, the controller of everything. I've never given God everything in my life. And I felt the love of God saying today, you want revival to hit your, your family? You want God to awaken your city, your workplace, your state, your nation? You tired of the godless agenda of America sliding us into the gutters of humanity? You want God to arise in America once again? Ladies and gentlemen, God will make it without America, but America will not make it without God. We have to be committed to what God is committed to. So we say today like the woman, no one, Lord. If you're ready to acknowledge that Jesus is not just a good idea, he's not just a good moral teacher, he's not someone that just caused a bunch of divisive thoughts, he is the risen savior of the world. If you say, Mark, today I want to get right with God. I want to surrender my heart to Him. I'm not signing up for religion, but I am inviting God to have a relationship with me. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that claims that the God that we worship and love can live inside of us, that can live through us? You want to invite God into your life. Eyes closed, heads bowed, we're out of time. You say, Mark, that's me. We're going to pray for a couple things and we'll get you out of here. First thing we do is this. If you want to say, God, you're not just my buddy, you're my Lord. God, you're not just my roommate, you're my Lord. You're not just like one of my employees doing some of my laundry items, you're my Lord. Some of you have never acknowledged that. Some of you have been treating God very irreverently. And I would remind you that God, listen, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's to revere God. It's to honor Him. We're not going to treat him casually. We're going to honor him as Lord. All over the tents, online, San Juan, eyes closed, heads bowed. You say, Mark, today, I would love it if God would start my restoration process. I would love it if God would take me down to what's unhealthy, remove the rust, get rid of the parts that are broken, that are outdated, the parts that don't fit in eternity, and begin to sandblast me, do the body work on me, and make me new again. I want to make you Lord. Eyes closed, heads bowed, all over San Juan, all over here at Bake. I want you to lift your hands on the count of three. I would say today that today's the day that Jesus becomes supreme. He becomes Lord, owner, and master of my life. That I'm working for him. He's not working for me. You want to do that today all over the room, both campuses. On the count of three, just raise your hands. One. I'll give you three seconds. You can start putting them up right now. I feel courage in the tents today. Two, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Hands going up all over. Right now, real high. Three, that's me. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. There's more. I see three hands. Real high. Real high. Real high. Four hands. San Juan start raising five hands. Thank you. Six hands. Real high. Real high. Real high. Real high. Real high. I see six hands today. All over the tents. Pray this prayer, Oceans Church. Say, Jesus, I invite you to be the Lord, master, ruler, owner of my life. Would you forgive me? Would you heal me? And would you fill me with your precious Holy Spirit? Starting today, I declare Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Lord of my life. In your name I pray. Everyone said amen. Second thing, that's exciting. You've got a 10-second hand clap for that. That's great. Six, seven people right there. More in San Juan. You've got a hand clap. Next thing we do, San Juan and Bake, is right now all over this room. God is, listen to me very clearly. He's going to confirm that I'm not just some, some loud voice yelling all these random ideas in the name of Christianity. God is going to validate that my message is true, that this is from God, this is biblical. And one of the ways God validates a God message is by signs, wonders, and miracles that follow. So you might believe today is that people with cancer are going to get healed, 
People with terminal diseases are going to be cured. People with blind eyes are going to... Are you hearing me today? God validates His Word by signs, wonders, and miracles. And if you go to a church with no miracles, they're probably not saying God's message. Strong statement. It's biblical. Read Acts. You ready? Eyes closed, heads bowed. If you need a healing in your body, you're bipolar, schizophrenic, mental illness, you have some serious addiction, cocaine, methamphetamine, some of you are addicted to this kind of satanic stuff. It's all medicine related. You're tripping out. God's going to set you free today. There's people in here that you have some sort of uh, autoimmune disease that God is going to heal. He's going to cure. Doctors are going to verify that it was a miracle. No explanation how God could, that, that, that it's gone other than God came into your body and heals you. Eyes closed, head bowed, both campuses. If you would invite God in to heal, deliver, or set you free from something, if you raise your hand that does not make you strange, that makes you honest, can I be clear today? It is normal to respond to God in church. So all over today, Orange County, but I don't believe in miracles. Well, then you're going to have to disregard one-third of Jesus' ministry. One-third of what Jesus did was miracle-related. So according to me, according to God, this, this church, we value the miracles of God all over the room. You ready to go? If you need a healing, set free, deliver, you need, you need comfort today, you're, you're brokenhearted, I want you to lift your hands all over the room. One, two, three, real high. Real high. That's me. That's me. That's me. If God can do it, I believe it. If God wants to heal me, I believe it. If, if, if he's here today to move, I'm in it. I'm in. I'm in. Hands up all over. We do this every week. Oceans at both campuses. If someone's hands up next to you and yours isn't, just open your eyes and lay your hand on their shoulder. Only need one or two people per person. We don't need 30 people praying for each person. Just one or two. It's great. And Oceans, let's pray this prayer. Both campuses say in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Do it doctors. Do it medicine. Do it therapy, counseling, rehab. Do things faster. Do things better. Do things fully. We ask you to heal set free comfort in Jesus Christ's name every spirit spirit of stupor spirit of fear spirit of timidity spirit of death we command you to loose your grip in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Holy Spirit from the top to the bottom of their body fill them up we give you all the glory all the honor Jesus name miracle 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 miracles man Lord we pray you believe he's gonna do it come on would you give him a hand clap today would you receive it come on if you believe he's gonna do it come on give him a hand clap you receive it who believes that God's gonna restore us today I love you thanks for listening to our podcast have a great week